Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans 12. Last week, we got through two whole verses, <laughs> verses 1 and 2, and we're going to actually start there this morning because it's critical as we move into the context of verses 3 through 8 this morning that we understand that this is part of what Paul sets up in the first couple of verses. And uh, so just to summarize, again, we're not going to spend a lot of time there. We've already covered it. But in verse 1, uh, Paul begins to teach. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable service of worship is actually a better rendering of that. It's an act of worship as you surrender your life to the usefulness of God. He, he's saying, I beseech you, I, I beg you, please. He's appealing to their will. So there's a series of questions that comes out of this because we want to move this from the, uh, <laughs> from the, from the churchy interpretation to something really practical in our lives. And, 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 and I'm not trying to put that down. I'm just saying that we could just read this and go, hmm, yeah, it's very spiritual. Yes, yeah, so thank you, Pastor John, for reading that, and we're good, and then head down the road after church. But what he's saying here, gang, is critical. He's saying, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. How is that accomplished? Only through the cross. It's through the cross of Christ. The only holiness that I have is that which he has placed on my life and which he is making me. Uh, he has sanctified me, and which means to, to declare me holy. And he's making me holy. Part of his making me holy is bringing me to a place where I voluntarily submit my will to his. And I say, Lord, I want to be a living sacrifice for you. I don't want to con be concerned with my life, I want to be concerned with what you want to do in it. And that's a huge difference, a huge distinctive between what it is to walk according to the course of the world and what it is to walk according to the kingdom and to Christ. So essentially what we're talking about here, this is the stuff of a radical change. A few months ago, we were talking about that. I remember telling you about Mr. Shattuck. He, he was a drunk. And, and he was a rabble rouser and he was not a kind person. And all of a sudden, he was like different. You know, my parents are going, he got religion. And, and no, he didn't get religion. He got saved. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I think about it. I also often think about the radical change. That's, that's Mr. Shattuck was the first time, and I was 10 years old. And it was the first time in my life that I was exposed to the, the radical transforming power of the gospel. And it made an impact. Here I am at 65 years old, still talking about Mr. Shattuck. So it's a radical change. So what we looked at last week was, well, that's a great principle, Pastor. <laughs> Thank you so much. How do I do it? What, what, is, what is the mechanism involved? And in verse 2, he says, this is how you do it. He says, it's, it's by not being conformed to this world but by being transformed by the renewing of my mind. That my life would become a proof. That my life would prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's the transaction. 
That's what's going on. That's why we have to look at these as we get into verse 3 and following. So when he's talking about the renewing of my mind, (laughs) I was thinking about this. I had a friend that uh, he passed away, I think, in the year 2000. And he had had a lot of struggles in his life. And, and I remember back in, in, the, in those days, there were these commercials on TV and it would show a couple of eggs frying in a pan and say, you know, the, the mind is a terrible thing to waste. You guys remember? Some of you do. I, I see people nodding. And, and, and it was about drugs. It's like, and they'd say, this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs. Well, he shortened that up to a mind, the mind is a terrible thing. <laughs> and, and I used to say, Art, you know, I agree. <laughs> it, it could be a terrible thing. So as we look at this, that if the goal was to have a renewed mind, what's the process there? Again, as he just as we work through these thoughts and we unpack what Paul is getting at here, there is so much richness here for you and for me. We looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Uh, he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Wow. The two things that we see here is, is, is he says that we are to take those carnal thoughts captive. How do I have a transformed life? Well, I basically begin to ask him by the power of the Holy Spirit to give me the ability to have this renewed mind. And the way I have that renewed mind is by dismissing, letting go of the old thought patterns, the old thought processes, the old things that dominated my life, that flesh, and by pulling down strongholds. What's a stronghold? It's the old way of thinking. It's the old way of doing things. It's the old, you know, for me, I had a horrible temper as a younger man. And I prayed for years through James chapter one, where he said, be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. And, and, I, and it was like, I, Lord, I want that in my life. Taking those thoughts captive when the temptation to get angry. And do I still, of course, I get angry sometimes. But my point is, is that wasn't, that anger no longer dominates my life. It's no longer the dominant principle in my life because he took that from me. I read that passage for years and then then one day I was reading through James and I saw the very next passage, the very next verse. And in that moment, the Lord released me from a horrible temper because it's because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So that was a stronghold. That's my point. We're pulling down strongholds. How do we do it? By taking thoughts captive. How do we do that? Because we are committed to being a living sacrifice and allowing him to transform us by the renewing of our minds. And it's all here in God's word. So now as we look at verses three through eight this morning, the apostle Paul is going to continue to instruct us about this process. So let's read through uh, those verses together. And then we'll come back and take a look at it. He says, for I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you. Notice he says to everyone, and that applies here as well as there. To everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. 
So we, you're not supposed to go there yet. <laughs> I think we have help up there. At any rate, we'll get there. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, or he who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now that's a long list. It's, it's actually, as spiritual giftedness goes, it's a short list. It's the shortest one that we have. Uh, but what Paul's doing is he's continuing his practical application of what the Christian life looks like. And it doesn't look like that. We'll get to there. But the point is, uh, is it's not just about transforming our minds to have right answers. You know, it's not about being book smart, gang. I, I don't want to be a book smart Christian. We'll talk about that as we go along here. But it's about the perspective which follows. It's about the perspective that I get as my mind is being renewed. He says in verse 3, he says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So the apostle now here, he asserts his authority. He says, by the grace given to me. Remember, when he says, I beseech you, he's not commanding them. It would not be proper for him to command them to be obedient. He's basically appealing to them because my obedience is a response to the grace that I've been shown. Here, he says, look, I've been called as an apostle, uh, and not because I'm all that and more, but because Paul knew that God and his grace had chosen him, that he had equipped him for the ministry that he'd been given. So in that, he exhorts us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Question, have you ever gone to a carnival and stood in front of a funhouse mirror. Uh, I have, and, 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 and you go from one mirror to the next, and one might make your torso really long, one might make your head really wide, and all of that. And I have these slides that I made up. The first one is my friend Brad, Stacy and my friend Brad and Angela. Now, you guys have heard me talk about the church that I spent 20 years at in California, Calvary Chapel of Gridley. Brad is a senior pastor, and he's a lifelong friend. I've been hanging out with him, doing ministry with him since the mid-80s. Anyway, so he and his wife, Angela, invited Stacy and I to their, their cabin at Lake Tahoe one time. And there's uh, Stacy and I, next slide. Yeah, and we were just hanging out with them. We had a great hike one day, and then we went back to their cabin. And Brad had an iPad at the time, and it had a, an app on it that kind of mimicked what happens when you're in front of the funhouse mirror at the carnival. And so we started taking pictures of each other. Next slide. And that was, I didn't show the one where Angela has her finger up her nostril. But, but we were just having so much fun. And then Stacy and I, were, they handed us the computer. We had, and we were going back and forth. And, and the point that I want to make in all of this, guys, is that we can have a distorted view of ourselves. Now, not physically, but emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And that will hurt us. He's saying, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. 
If you're doing that, you have as much a distorted view of yourself as what you see on the screen, but in a different way. (laughs) Back to verse 3. Having a distorted view of ourselves can... It can and will interfere with God's transforming work in us. The Bible tells us that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I want to be useful to the Lord. Uh, We sat around my aunt's table, Stacy and I and her mother and and my aunt Sally. Many of you know Aunt Sally. um, Hi there. Uh, she, She watches online. We sat there on Thanksgiving giving thanks for each of us going around the room and And one of the things that when it got to be my turn, obviously thankful for my family and for my wife and for my mother and my aunt. And and, and the thing personally that I was thankful for was I said, I'm thankful for being useful to God. I want God to use me. I want to serve him. And I don't care. I truly don't care. I have scrubbed floors and, and done it for the Lord. I've picked up cigarette butts and done it for the Lord. I do not care. Uh, And pastors love it when somebody comes to them and says, how can I serve? How can I help? Not, well, you know, I'm going to name this. And we'll talk about that too in in a minute. But the point is, is that he wants us to be available to be used. It's part of his transforming work. All of a sudden, the things of this life are not as important to me. And the things of the kingdom have become important. Part of the work of his Holy Spirit in us. Pride is a killer of effective service. That's Paul's point here. If you want to get put on the shelf, start believing your own press clippings, especially if God puts you in a position where you are up front, where you, are, you have a visible ministry. Very dangerous. What he's saying here is understand who you are in Christ. And let me tell you, just touch on something too about pride. Obviously pride is where my focus is turned inward. It's turned upon myself. It's about I, me, I, me, and all of that. That can be in a place where we have a higher opinion of ourselves than we ought to have. I'll tell you what though, negative pride is real. And it's where I walk around with a dark cloud over my head and I think that I'm just somehow God messed, messed up or he, he, he didn't get it right when he called me. But I can, I can walk around with a self-condemning thing or, or just being under condemnation or some type of spiritual oppression and all of that. And if my focus is on me, it's still pride. It's still not acknowledging God's faithfulness, God's sufficiency in my life. It's thinking it's about me. So whether it's a cut above or... Uh, thinking that I'm pretty scummy, it, it, it truly will circumvent and it'll hurt my usefulness to God. Paul's point here is understand who you are in Christ. You're not a worm, nor are you a super saint. I mean, uh, at times you run into people that's like, yeah, I can do it all. And, and, and he was dealing with people that were puffed up in their own estimation. And that's why he says this. But he also knows people. This is inspired writing, folks. He knows the heart of man. And and there's that part in me that wants to maybe take just a little bit of the glory, and God won't share that with another. Essentially, it's not my talent. What we're talking about here are his gifts. 
and I want to note too that Paul doesn't say here that, that we should think of ourselves as terrible or worthless. When I say, no, I want to be emptied at the altar of service, which is to be a living sacrifice. That's not saying that I have nothing to give, that I have nothing to offer. It's saying that under the inspiration of the Spirit in my life, I want to give the way that he is instructing me and the way that he is leading me to give. He wants us to step away from the funhouse mirror gang. It causes us to see ourselves as big or powerful or important. All of those things. It takes faith to see ourselves objectively in this way. That's why he says to each is given a measure of faith. Why faith? Because in the following verses, he's going to show us that we must see ourselves truthfully so that we can trust God to do through us what he is gifting us for. It's very important. The just shall live by faith. And when it comes to spiritual giftedness, that counts. That's true. In verses 4 and 5, he says, uh, For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So in verse 4, Paul is saying that the human body has many different parts and has different functions. In verse 5, he's talking about a body as well. He's using that metaphorically to talk about the body of Christ, and that's the church. Now, he's going as he goes into and he begins now to unpack these spiritual gifts, he's saying that gifts vary. But it's not that... That's a more important gift. Me as the, uh, the pastor, I don't have a more important gift than you cleaning the church. I don't have a more important gift than anybody. Uh, I love telling people if, if I wasn't the pastor, I'd still want to go to church here because I love you guys and this is a loving bunch. And it's not about that. It's about being used by God and fulfilling the ministry that he's giving me. One of the things, too, I just want to mention this. When we talk about him giving us a measure of faith from from verse 3, the areas where God is gifting and equipping me, and I've seen this, and we need to guard ourselves over it, can become the area where I'm most critical of other people. See, he gives me a measure of faith to do what he's calling me to do. And, and, And if I'm not careful and I allow that lower nature to kick in, all of a sudden I'm upset. Uh, we had some people leave my church in California. They were standing up for something that was very right. Uh, I think it was the Operation Rescue thing from way back. Uh, and, and they wanted us to be the Operation Res- Rescue Church. And we said, you know what? If God's giving you that ministry, we support you. We'll pray for you. And we want you to go forward in that. And they said, well, no. This church has to adopt that. Well, we're not a cause-driven church. We're a Christ-driven church. And we want to be sure that we're supporting the ministries that people give, or that God gives people. That's part of the work of the church, according to Ephesians chapter 4, where the church's calling is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But it's not our place to do that. Our place is to teach you God's word. Our place is to equip you and to support you in prayer, financially, whatever it is. And, and they, they just could not handle that because they had become critical in an area that God had called and equipped them. And I've seen it happen before. Uh, somebody has the gift of evangelism. Why isn't everybody out there knocking on doors? Well, it's because God hasn't called everybody to be out there knocking on doors. 
Be careful, folks. A critical heart can spring up in the midst of effective service. So getting back to this whole human body thing that he's talking about, he's again, he's using a metaphor. He's using the human body. You know, he's saying, look, the body has many different parts, different functions. You know, I can't see with my toe. Uh, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I can't walk very long on my hands. I mean, it, we could just go on and on. But his point is, is that it's not my my eyeball is not more important than my toe. Uh, you know, my mouth is not more important than my ears. And it, what he's saying is this is equal opportunity service in the context that he's talking about here. Uh, verse 5, he says that we, as a collective group of Christians, are that kind of body. By the way, the body of Christ, if you really think about it, it is the largest living organism on the planet because it is the representation of Christ. And Jesus said, unless I go, the helper won't come and I won't leave you as orphans. Prophetically speaking of the, the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit on this earth, it's the church. I look, I look forward more as every day goes by to the things that are going on out there, thinking about the time clock being at the end of the age, looking and, and seeing the whole world is just kind of stood up on its edge and, and it's crazy out there. And I think, Lord, come quickly. Uh, when we studied Second Thessalonians 2 not long ago with our men's group, and we looked at the, the, the restrainer is here still, the reference to the Holy Spirit. When the restrainer is taken out of the way, that's the church. When the church, the body of Christ is taken out of the way and the man of lawlessness is revealed, things are going to get rolling and things are going to start happening fast. You and I, if you know the Lord, if you have given your life to him, you won't experience that. You'll be with him. As to the rest... All hell, literally, will break loose on the earth. And God's judgment will begin to be being poured out on the earth and on the inhabitants of the earth. Sobering. So, as we look at this, there's beauty in the design that Paul is talking about here. He talks about, and I'm going to use the word because it doesn't mean what our culture means, <laughs> but there's diversity here. He's saying there are many members. I'm not talking about that kind of diversity. <laughs> I, you know, culture steals all the really good words. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> the human race is a critical race. Anyway, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> the point is that he talks about diversity when he says there are many members. Look at us. Look at the people in this room. Look around. How could so many people from so many different various walks of life with different opinions about everything come together and actually really, really love and enjoy being around each other? I love when I get comments and I love getting the comments when people say, you know, I like that church because they're so friendly. It's because the love of Christ is being shed abroad in our hearts. It's because he is doing the work in us and we're yielded to that love instead of becoming cranky and critical and con condemning and, and all of that with one another. There's unity in diversity. That's his point. 
Both sides. He says one body, that's unity. Many members, that's diversity. And only God could do that. Why? Because the spirit of God binds us together. We have, there's a supernatural glue that happens in the body of Christ. And, And I'll tell you what, I've seen this in my own life one time. I, I remember I was, uh, I was headed up Interstate 5, and I stopped at Taco Bell in Wairica, California. I may have shared this before, but it really impressed me as to the, that glue that I'm talking about. So I'm in line, and there's a guy who has a, some kind of Christian symbol on his T-shirt. <laughs> and, and I said, oh, so are you a believer? And he goes, oh, yeah, man, I am. And, and we ended up talking, and we, we got our meal, and we, I think we sat there for an hour together. He's headed south on I-5. I'm headed north on I-5. And when we embraced, I had no idea. I don't, couldn't tell you his name, but we were brothers. And, and we spent that hour of rich fellowship together. And we spent that time. And when we embraced, it was like, you know what? Probably won't see you this side of heaven, but I look forward to when I see you there. And I'm looking forward to the Taco Bell guy when I get there. Beauty, unity, and diversity is that glue that binds our hearts together. So as we're looking at this, when Paul talks about the body of Christ, it's a common theme with him in other writings that he has. I want to just look at one other. There are more. Uh, In Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, he says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. That's exactly what he's warning us of in Romans 12. Get out, get away from that funhouse mirror. And he says, and they're not holding fast to the head from whom the, all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with an increase that is from God. That is just a beautiful passage that further details what Paul is saying here in Romans 12. He's saying, look, it's a body. You're joined together by, by, <laughs> by um, joints and ligaments. Uh, you, you're growing with an increase that's from God. And that metaphor does stand. And it is true. It's as true today as it was 2,000 years ago when these words were penned. When we look at the church as a body, I do want to also give a warning. There is a condition in our human bodies where they become self-serving. We call it cancer. It happens in the body of Christ. When he says certain men have crept in unnoticed to spy out the liberty that you have, there are many passages that talk about the damaging effect of a false witness, of a false teacher, a false prophet. We'll look at them in a minute. That, if not checked, can become a cancer. I've taken people to breakfast or lunch in the we're in our fifth year here in the time that I've been here and said, look, you can't be putting that out there. Uh, I remember one time a guy wanted to uh, come in to the church and he wanted everybody to live by the Jewish ecclesiastical calendar. And it was like, no, no, that's not what we do. That's not New Testament Christianity. And because what happens in, and it might seem innocent enough. Well, you want to, you know, go celebrate the feasts and all of that stuff. That's fine if that's what you choose to do individually. 
But when somebody comes in with a, a heresy like that, innocent sounding as it is, pretty soon you got the feast celebrators and the non-feast celebrators. Pretty soon you have division growing. Why isn't Pastor John teaching that? Well, why is it? Why aren't we doing that? Well, let's in our potluck. We should probably start, you know, having a, you know, <laughs> the whole feast thing or whatever. That's just one example. That happens. Left unchecked, it becomes a cancer in the body of Christ. And as we know, cancer, left unchecked, kills. It'll kill the fellowship in a church. It'll kill the unity in the church. It'll kill the things that he's talking about here. The point here is that our gifts are not for selfish use. It's not a vain display. This isn't the Holy Ghost talent show that he's talking about here. God gives gifts for the good of the entire body. No gift is self-sufficient. No gift is unnecessary. It doesn't matter how small. No gift is, is such that we walk in that alone, by ourselves. Even if you have a ministry that you carry out on your own, you're part of a bigger body. You're part of the body of Christ. And you've got to know that, folks, because I'll tell you what, one of the things, if you serve the Lord for very long at all, you're going to get discouraged. It's discouraging at times. And I have to just, I, I just have to, to, it's like, you guys, if you've been around me much, and we do something, and maybe it's sparsely attended, and my answer to that is we always have perfect attendance. Because I'm not going to let discouragement come in and start camping at my door to where I'm thinking, well, and pretty soon I'm questioning. Pretty soon it's like, what's God, you know, am I walking with, all of these crazy things. So discouragement is a huge thing when you're serving God. So now Paul begins to give instructions for the use of certain gifts. And as I mentioned, this is not an exhaustive list. There's only two of the seven spiritual gifts that he mentions here in Romans that are found in other lists. That's prophecy and teaching. So the point in that is, is like, well, was he like <laughs> just in a hurry when he wrote this? What's his point? Why did he leave so many other gifts off? And I, I thought about going through a whole list, but time really won't permit at this point because I want to stay focused on what he's focused on here because his list is not meant to be exhaustive. This is general instruction. He's giving instruction on a transformed life and a transformed life will find service to God central. My response to his grace I love him and I want those graces to be worked out in my life. Well, look at the wordplay that he uses here. Uh, in verse 6, he says, having then gifts, the Greek word there is charisma, differing according to the grace, that word is charis, same root, that is given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. So when Paul speaks of the, the grace, the charis given to me, it's an example that it's God who works spiritual gifts, charisma, not man. The literal word for gifts here is a grace. So God is giving, he is in the business of giving and equipping people with spiritual graces. Why is that? Why would that word be used? Because it ain't you. It ain't me. He equips people that he calls. We'll look at that in a minute. But the point is, gang, is that he's, he's working in us. He's using us. And he may be calling you to something that you are totally thinking you're out in la-la land qualified for, and that's a good thing. Remember, 
He does not, he will not share his glory with another. And very often he raises up people who are the unlikely candidate to take over a particular ministry. Because he wants to get the glory. So in verse 3, Paul spoke of this grace uh, that was given uh, as an example. And, and, And God is giving us graces. Now, Paul will speak more broadly as he applies the statement, uh, your gifts differ according to the grace given to us. This is just a great play on words. He usually does it a couple of times in this passage. He wants the people to be clear, and it gets lost a little bit, translated from Greek, Koine Greek, to English, but he wants them to understand that these are things that God does. These are not things that you conjure up. Very, very important that we understand that God is the one who empowers us. He's not looking for my ability anywhere near as much as he's looking for my availability. He wants willing vessels. He wants people who are committed to the cause of Christ and want to be used however, whatever, whenever, wherever, according to God's will. So let's get into this list. The first one is prophecy. So A prophet, essentially, is a spokesperson for God. Uh, In the New Testament, we see male and female prophets, a prophetess. And there's a couple of sides to prophecy. Now, prediction may be involved, but it is not a necessary element of prophecy. What I mean by that is there's two sides. Predictive prophecy is foretelling. And that's primarily an Old Testament thing where these guys were, <laughs> they were part of the Bible being written. And so they would speak something before it happened that when it came to pass, God would be recognized in it, that his hand would be seen. All right, that's predictive prophecy. In the New Testament, a prophet is not foretelling anywhere near as much. I mean, and it always has to line up with God's word as he's forthtelling. Speaking forth, I'm prophesying right now. And uh, you got to understand, there, there can be no inspired prophetic additions to the body of Christian doctrine that we have today because the faith has been once for all delivered to the saints. Jude, uh, Jude verse 3, <laughs> I almost said chapter 1, there's only one chapter. Um, but Jude 3 says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, catch this, which was once for all delivered to the saints. There is no new revelation, and there are a lot of charlatans out there that would tell you otherwise. I mean, I, and I'm resisting. I want a rabbit trail really bad right now. But there's not time, number one, and number two, it's not really fruitful just to know there are a lot of false prophets out there. There are people making claims to speak for God that just flat don't. Folks, be careful. If you ever end up in a church where people are making claims and making statements that God is this or that, and it doesn't line up with this, with his word, run. You probably won't change them. Get out of there and get into a healthy environment. That's part of what the safety that we have in teaching God's word verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter, book by book. 
<laughs> it's because, and you know, every now and then somebody will question something that I said, and if I made a mistake, because I'm not above that, I'll I'll check it out. But very often it's like, you know what? We're just I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't write the paper. God has called me to throw it in your yard, essentially. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so if you got a problem with it, <laughs> you need to go to the one that wrote it. And your problem's with God, not me. All modern prophecy is a restating of Christ's original message, the proclamation of and expounding of truth already revealed in the scripture. The scripture's closed. Hebrews chapter 1. God in the beginning spoke many portions in many ways to the prophets or to the fathers through the prophets. But in these last days has spoken to us in son. It says his there, but the son in the original. What he's saying is he's spoken to us. Jesus is the completion of the prophetic word. Jesus is the one who gives us the entire uh, gospel, the entire message of God. It, it not only represents God, he is God. And as God, and he, the writer goes on to say that in Hebrews, that there's nothing more to add. You can have confidence in the fact that it's already in place. And if people start doing that, like I said, check it out and, and, and get as far from somebody that's doing that as possible. Every now and then I'll be surfing on the television and I'll come across one of those guys and it's like, oh, about 30 seconds is all I can handle. <laughs> Ron will send me a link of some guy that, that is into some false thing and I'll write him back and say, oh, I made it for about a minute and a half this time. <laughs> false prophets. First John chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, John says, beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. That's what we're talking about here. Test the spirits, whether they're of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So, all right, he says, test them. How do you test them? Deuteronomy, I'm glad you asked. Deuteronomy chapter 18 gives the test of a prophet. In verses 21 and 22, or, or 20 through 22 in Deuteronomy 18, we read this. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that person shall die. Now, I'm not suggesting anything. <laughs> this is Old Testament. <laughs> okay, Buster, <laughs> I was reading this. No, but, but, but what we see there is the importance that God puts on accurate prophecy. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? And that's a, that's a fair question. It's as fair today as it was then. He says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. And the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not fear him. Straight up. When I'm telling you, run, if you're exposed to false doctrine, false prophets, it's not my opinion. Again, it's what God's word says. You don't, don't fear that person. Just don't receive from them. Careful. Uh, in our day, Matthew twenty four eleven, Jesus warns that in the last days, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And that if possible, they would even deceive the elect, you and I. That we're Christians doesn't mean that we're immune from being led astray, that we're immune from this kind of thing. So 
It's to us to be on guard. Verse 7. He says, our ministry, let us use it in our ministering, he who teaches in teaching. So the second one we see here in this list is ministry. Now, I want you to know that that doesn't mean the duties, the office, or the functions of clergy. That's not what's being said here. When he's talking about ministry, it's not pastoral ministry. That's one kind of ministry. But what he's talking about here is the word ministry, the Greek word is diakonia, is where we get the word deacon, and that translates servant. What he's talking about here is to have a servant's heart. If God has equipped you with, and this is a powerful core gift. This is a gift that God gives many, many people because we're called to be servants. John chapter 13, Jesus in the upper room, wrapping himself with a towel, washing his men's feet, saying, look, I've done this as an example to you. A a student's not greater than his master. Neither are you greater than me. Now, this is how I want you to go and do ministry after I've gone. And you've received the Holy Spirit, all of that. What he was saying is this is how church should go. It's about serving. It's about being a servant, having a servant's heart. It's about esteeming one another. It's more important than ourselves. It's about going low. Because if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you need to be the least of all. Those principles that drive the kingdom of God often are the polar opposite of the way that this world works. And that's on purpose. Because that's when you see that the spirit of God is alive and well in a fellowship of believers, in a body of Christ, and that he is working and that he is moving and that he is equipping. Again, it's not about some prideful stance that I have because I've come to think that I'm all that and more. No, 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 no. That's what he warns when we first looked at that this morning. Don't have a higher opinion of yourself. Step away from that funhouse mirror because it'll give you a distorted view of yourself and it'll hurt you. So this gift is central to what it is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Why? Folks, when we talk about being a servant, because it's because servanthood is the polar opposite of selfishness. It's the, it's the exact opposite. And selfishness is a stronghold in every believer's life. Getting back to 2 Corinthians 10. That's a stronghold. I know me. I remember teaching little kids, and I would use the same scriptures, but I would use little kid examples. But one of them is just stuck with me. And I would say, okay, well, let's say you and your sister get to the cupboard, you pull out the box of cereal, and there's only enough for one bowl left. Who's going to get it? You're going to be a servant? Are you going to be selfish? So applies, folks, it applies to us today. All of us, that lower nature is, it is by nature focused, centered on self, on thinking of myself more highly than I ought to think. That's why this is such an important gift. We're all called to be servants. That's the point. So, and I'm not here to put a head trip on anybody. And as a small church, we depend on servants. We depend on people responding to God tapping their hearts and saying, you know what? I want to use you. Uh, I'll just be, I'll be honest with you folks. We were about that close from not being able to have any media or live stream today because we don't have servants to staff some of our ministries. We're going to begin the first Sunday of the month not having children's ministries because we don't have servants to staff the ministry. Please. And I just say this, like I said, it's not a head trip. It's the truth. And, and 
My being the pastor doesn't mean that I'm the guy that has to do all of this. We're a family. We're a body. Pray. I just, and I'm not, like I said, it's not a head trip, but I am asking you to pray. Would God use you in one of those ministries? Would he use you to come out of yourself? And if there's selfishness, well, I don't, I just kind of like going to church and going home. Well, it, then allow the spirit to convict you in those areas because we do have needs. And, and, and God has been so gracious and faithful. And I'm not worried about it. I want to tell you that too. I told Ethan, well, Ethan has been stepping in and filling in since Ryan left. And, and Ethan's been stepping in our ministry, our media ministry. And I said, Ethan, I'm not going to sweat this. This church was built in 1908. And I think that there have been a few years where there wasn't a projector. There wasn't a microphone. There weren't speakers. There wasn't a live stream. And if we have to do it that way, I'm fine with that. I, I do want us to minister to the people that are at home, that are, that are regularly watching and taking this in because they're impor- it's important to them that they get exposed to the word of God. So I want this to happen, but I'm, not, I'm just not going to sweat it. But pray. I would just ask you, pray. See if God would use you in a ministry in the church. As I mentioned, it's, about abil- it's not about ability. It's about availability. Are you available? to be used. And I'll tell you something else. God's word tells us is more blessed to give than to receive. I have never in almost 40 years of being a Christian, I have never, and I mean that, ever served. And I've done some dirty jobs, but I have never served the Lord in a way that I thought that it cost me more than what I got out of it. Because he'll bless your service. He blesses those that step into that. He blesses that work. He anoints it He equips for it, and he blesses it. Always a blessing. As I mentioned, it's important that we understand that it it is about availability. It's not about about being equipped. God doesn't, he equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. And yeah, you may have some, some talents and some gifts. I'm not saying that, but... I got away at one time in my ministry in my life, I, I kind of got into spiritual gift assessments. It's like I take this nifty little test and it tells me what I'm good at. I really don't put a lot of stock in those and they're fun. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but I don't put a lot of stock in that. Why? Because in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, the writer, <clears throat> maybe Paul, I always have to say that. Uh, the writer says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What he's saying is God will equip you. He equips the called. He does not call the equipped. And so if you're thinking, well, I could never do anything like that, Well, so what? Maybe he wants to show off through you. He likes to do that. Also, now back to verse 7, when he he says, he he who teaches in teaching. I'm going to step on it here. We're going to run out of time. So the word teaching essentially means instruction, an instructor. The Greek word is didasko, and that's where we get the word, and, and it's not a real common word. We don't throw it around at the church much. The word didactic. But didactic is a form of teaching. And, and, and in this context, it means that it's one who spells things out explicitly. 
to present the view of what's true or right or moral from God's word. That's what the gift of teaching looks like. <laughs> I've joked before uh, that what the gift of teaching sounds like or the lack of the gift of teaching sounds like. And it's like <sighs> snore. I, I, I've sat where people who were teaching and I was like, I'm not connecting with anything. And, 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 and that's all right. But I'll tell you what, if you want to develop. Now, God gives some gifts. He gives a lot of gifts in a moment. Like you get a word of knowledge. That's a spiritual gift or, or a word of wisdom or you, you, he gives you understanding. He does that often with me, when I, especially if I'm doing some biblical counseling with somebody. But the point is, is that there are gifts that he does in a moment and there are gifts that he develops over time. The gift of teaching is the one that he develops over time. You don't just step into it. So if, if you've tried to teach and you've kind of felt everybody's falling asleep and you really feel called to it, stick with it. I had been teaching for a while before, and there was one home fellowship night that I finished teaching, and I looked around, and everybody kind of had this weird look on their face. They were like, oh, that came from John, because <laughs> they knew me. But the point is, is that God was speaking to them through it, and that's an essential component to the gift of teaching in the body of Christ. It's not given a book report. It's allowing the Spirit of God to use you, to direct, to direct you, as I said, to, to throw that paper in their yard. And that he honors that. He calls it the foolishness of preaching. Amazing. Verse 8, he says, He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So as we move through this, this list, the next one is exhortation. And that simply means strong encouragement. All right? So... And it's tied to teaching. You've got to understand that there's a relationship here. Exhortation encourages people to practice what they've been taught. And exhortation, Paul is doing it here. Teaching and exhortation are necessary for a healthy Christian life. They're necessary as we avail ourselves of God's word. So what Paul's doing here in Romans 12 is exhortation. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. I'm just giving an example. There are lots of them here. That's the principle. So how do I do it? That's where teaching comes in. You don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he exhorts and he teaches. Both of those are in place. As we read through God's word, it's, it's good if we develop the habit of, of understanding when we're seeing something that's an exhortation and when we're seeing instruction. He uses both. So if you're out of balance in this area, if you're taught, but you're not exhorted, <laughs> I think that leads to being a fat sheep. Uh, you only take it in, but you don't apply it. You don't live, actually step into living the Christian life. And, and, and the writer in Hebrews says, you know what? You ought to be teachers by now, but you need to go back and have the elementary teachings of Christ all over again. Why? Because they were taught, but they hadn't applied it. They, they didn't get it. To be exhorted but not taught, the other side of that, uh, and that might, that's where you see people, they become excited, they get active and all of that, but there's no depth. There's no understanding of what, of what they're doing and why they're doing it. People like this tend to burn out quickly or they set about doing the work of God in the wrong ways. So it's teaching and ex exhortation. Again, kind of Siamese twins in that regard. 
It's important that we understand that both are valid, both are essential spiritual gifts. Again, I have the gift of teaching, but also part of teaching is exhorting. I I was exhorting a couple of minutes ago when I said, folks, we need people to step step up. I mean, that's an exhortation. And then there's teaching. You don't have to be equipped necessarily. You have to be willing. So both sides. The fifth one we look at here is the gift of giving. And oh boy, this is, we're going to talk about giving here. <clears throat> now you guys know me. If you know me, you know that I do not talk about giving much. I think maybe like three times in five years or something ridiculous. And he's talking about it's not just money. It's giving of ourselves, our time, our talent, and our treasure. Well, it's an act of cheerful obedience to give to the work of the ministry and the gospel this gift refers to someone specifically gifted in the area of giving. This is someone to whom God has generously blessed, who in turn joyfully, selflessly gives as God directs. Picture a river flowing with God's resources to be distributed as he wills. I love this example because it's, you look at the difference between a river and a lake. Things flow into the lake, but they don't tend to flow out. And, and, you know, in our lives, God calls us to, to give and to give cheerfully. I'm not saying that. But particular individuals that God has blessed abundantly, that he directs resources to them, and they are actually vessels for him to distribute as he wills. That's a wonderful, wonderful spiritual gift. People in this body have that. Another thing I want to mention about that is we, as, as I said, we don't talk a great deal about giving for several reasons, and I'll just go through them here. I jotted these down the other day. and um, The first is I'll teach on the subject like any other. When we get to that place in the Word, it's fair game. We'll teach on it. But I'll tell you what, we see your gifts as a sacred trust, and I mean that. Uh, that's why I'm so tight. But... <laughs> No, I mean, we do. We see that, that when, you, when you give to a ministry and you, let, you open your hands and you let go of that gift, you're trusting that that is going to be used for kingdom purposes. And whatever we do in this church, you know, we're a small church with limited resources, but whatever we do, we want, number one, for it to be for the glory of God, and number two, it better be for kingdom work. Whether it's supporting missionaries, or upgrading equipment, or whatever it is. That's the litmus test. It's a sacred trust. And and unfortunately, many treat this as a topic through which they can manipulate people to give. I will not do that. It's not how we are. That's not the body of Christ. It's not, you know what, I'll say this, and I know I'm running a little bit long, but I'm almost done, I promise. Um, That's my first close. This will be about three or four. But the point is, is that, after I got here, uh, I'd been here for, I don't know, a year and a half, and we, we moved to the, from our um, building down in the uh, industrial area to Red Hills, and we're there for a while, and we were renting that. On our first Sunday there, I was praying about it, and I, and I just sensed the Lord saying, you know what, why don't you just not receive an offering anymore? <laughs> I'm kind of going, okay. Um, What's going to happen if people don't give? But the reason is, and this is not for every church, it is not a bad thing for a church to to pass the basket. I'm not saying that at all. Many churches do. I honor that. 
For us, we're teaching you about trusting God with your money. And the conviction that I had is we need to trust God for the money we have as a church to operate. And so we suspended that. We stopped receiving offering. Our giving went up because we're trusting the Lord to work in your heart for you to support the work. We're trusting him. He is the God that he says he is. And, 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 and we're going we're gonna to walk that out. It, does it require faith? Of course. And that's what he's saying here. It does. It requires walking these things out by faith, trusting that God is going to do what he needs to do. If he dries it up, I have job skills. But my point is, is that for us, that was the thing to do. And God has honored it. The other thing about that is God has called me as the pastor to serve you. Now, if I spent a bunch of time asking for your money, essentially what I'm doing is I'm asking you to serve me. And I don't think that that's biblical. You don't see, a, you don't, you see churches like the, in Philippians where Paul says, man, I am so grateful for your offering, the, the collection you took up for the churches. But I'm not grateful because there was a bunch of money there. I'm grateful for the increase to your account because you were faithful. And folks, that's the attitude we want to have when it comes to giving. We're trusting God to put it on people's hearts confidently and cheerfully. Notice he says here, he says, with he who gives with liberality. There's a very important principle in this that I want to go into for a moment. Liberality is the quality of being generous. Okay, that's what it means. And it goes with the concept of the widow's might in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. I'm going to read it and and just comment a little bit on it. But uh, Jesus makes a very valid point here. It says in, in Mark twelve forty one. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury at the temple uh, and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrans, and I have no idea what a quadrans is. So he called his disciples to himself and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Point in that, principle in that, is that's giving with liberality. It's not about the amount. Like everything else, it's about the heart. What it, what is, where is your heart when it comes to giving? Are you being challenged on this? Because I'll tell you what, if there's a subject where the rubber meets the road, <laughs> it's when we start talking about my wallet. And you know, so I want to put my hand over my wallet because it's like, ah, but it's a place where God tests us. He challenges us and he allows us. Are you willing to part with your money for the kingdom of God? Not a manipulation. It's just true. And, and I'll tell you what, I have never experienced, again, I've never experienced a lack. When I owned two businesses and had wealth, I was probably one of those guys at the treasury before the widow showed up. I gave a lot. Never experienced a lack. I still don't experience a lack. It's important that we understand this principle. The sixth gift we're looking at here is leadership. He says, lead with diligence. What that is, is to go low. As I mentioned, the under shepherd of the flock 
we and we have you know Harvey and Rick, our elders, myself. We want to be able to minister. We want to be able to lead. I love that Rick's leading the uh, uh, Tuesday night men's group. Harvey will be teaching in a couple of weeks. I want to see these guys use their gifts. It's important. Gifts of leadership. I want them to be identified. We don't give a bunch of titles. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we don't do titles around here. You know, you're not going to be the committee head. <laughs> it causes problems. But I do want our elders to be identified because I want them to be a resource for you. If you're struggling, you don't, and I welcome, you can call 24-7, but you can also call these guys. You can reach out to them because they have the gift of leadership. They want to lead. Now, there's two sides to spiritual leadership. There's feeding and tending. <laughs> uh, both are very accurate. Both are true. In John chapter 21, Jesus is with Peter, you know, that restore, he's restoring him. He's at the Sea of Galilee, and you know, they brought up this big haul of fish, 153, I think. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter says, well, and I could go into the Greek word play there. It's fabulous, but it's not the point this morning. And, and, and Peter says, well, yeah, I love you. And he says, well, feed my lambs. What he's saying is nurture God's people. Lambs need nurture. They need protection. They need, they need to grow. He says it again, Peter, do you love me? Well, of course, you know I love you. And, and he says, tend my sheep. The Greek word there is poimen. It means shepherd. And he's saying, shepherd my sheep. He says, okay, a third time, Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter's like, yes. <laughs> and I'm paraphrasing, but uh, he says, feed my sheep. Bring my sheep to good pasture. Folks, I know as a pastor that it ain't all about me. Part of what God's called me to do is to bring you to good pasture. So if I have Harvey fill in or Rick's teaching or whatever it is, these are guys that I have seen their walk and I see that they are sincere, serious, and called, equipped to the ministries that God has given them. So they are just as capable of taking you to good pasture, of giving you spiritual food as anyone else. I remember hearing an elder say one time, I can only think of a couple of people in my church that I'd care to connect with. And I immediately thought, that is not an elder. You're called to connect with people. You're called to pour into people. You're called to love these people. And we're going to love you. We might not always get it right, but we're going to love you. Another thing about this, <laughs> this is something I've said before, but it's true. There are times where people have selfish ambition and it can look exactly on the surface like godly aspiration. Paul says if a man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a good thing he desires to do. Selfish ambition can be the same thing or it can look the same way, but the motive of the heart is entirely different. Perhaps to be seen, perhaps to be the boss. Essentially what my response to that is those who want to lead in the worst possible way, usually do. <laughs> That's true. Verse 8, we'll wrap this up here. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So mercy, here's the last one. Now, mercy here has a, it has a general sense of caring for people in tough circumstances. Uh, I love when I hear and I see mercy going on in this body. 
Uh, it's just such a wonderful gift. It's, it's the ability to come alongside. It's the ability to pour out your heart into the life of another. It could be somebody that was socially ostracized, somebody that has slipped through the cracks of society. I have no idea what that sound was, but that's right. Somebody who's slipped through the cracks. Mercy. I, I love seeing that gift in operation. Again, uh, been times where I've, I've lost my wife and, and found her with the homeless guy. It's mercy. Could be somebody that's in economic hardship. And uh, I know that there were some needs when COVID got started because people were laid off and all of that. And I love seeing that mercy was extended. Could be illness. Could be old age. Stacy and I had opportunity to minister to someone yesterday. It's any misfortune. And, and understand that he says here to show mercy with cheerfulness. It's those who are able to help others doing it cheerfully. And not laughing in the face of calamity. That's not what he's talking about. But it's related to giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, to let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And if you're giving mercy, if you're extending mercy, he says, let it be done with a smile on your face, with a willing heart. I'll tell you what, I, for a while, I, I was, uh, a church in California was in charge of our church's representation of the local food pantry. And it was a small community, so I just had a key to the pantry. And so when a call would come in, I would go down and I'd unlock it and they'd fill out a little questionnaire and stuff and then we would load them up, uh, them up with food. It was a kind of a prescribed formula of how much food we'd give them, depending on the size of their family and all that. And I remember after I'd done it a number of times and I'd looked at the, the things that, that they had or talked to them, and I remember thinking, wow, these people don't have any food because they're making bad choices. And I got convicted about that. How many of us have suffered the consequences of our own bad choices? That's not for us to, to judge. Yeah, we want to judge righteous judgments. Yeah, we don't want to see God's resources squandered. But I had to pull that back. I had to take that to the Lord because I wasn't there to be judge and jury for these people that needed some food. I was there to extend mercy. So as we wrap up here, we've seen in this passage, Paul's telling us four things. First, we all have gifts and abilities. All of us, every one of us. Second thing is that those gifts and abilities, abilities, they vary among us. They're different. Don't fall into that trap of thinking, well, how, how come nobody's getting on board with this? Trust that God has something for them to do as well. The third thing is that God distributes the gifts of the Spirit by the Holy Spirit according to his will. You see that in 1 Corinthians, very clear. It's not because I'm super talented. It's because he loves to show off in people that aren't. The fourth thing we see here is the gifts are not intended to benefit me. They're not intended to benefit the individual who possesses them, but they're for the benefit of the body of Christ. One more time, I'll, I'll camp on it. Stay away from the funhouse mirror. You don't want to look like Stacy and I did in that picture, that's for sure. Truly. Have an accurate view of yourself. Have an accurate view of the gifts that God has given you. The little ditty that I uh, 
received many years ago. And it's this. Avoid the inflation that comes from adulation. Adulation is undue praise. Oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, you're... All of that. It's like, no, I hold up a mirror. Somebody's blessed by something I've said or done. You praise the Lord. It's his gifts. So avoid the inflation that comes from adulation. And on the other side of that, not everybody's going to pat you on the head. Avoid the deflation that comes from flagellation. There are times where people have kind of taken it upon themselves. They don't like what the message was. And it hasn't, it, truly, it has not happened here. Well, maybe a little bit when I first got here. But, but the point is, is that there's, there's just this thing that people, it's like, if you can't handle the message, let me go talk to the messenger. And I get that. And I, you know, I just want to be gracious when that happens. But, you know, I don't want to become discouraged because I just want to fulfill my ministry. And I want you to fulfill yours. So avoid the deflation that comes from flagellation. We're all meant to be servants. We're all gifted in one way or another. And we want to use the gifts that God has given us to bless the church and to minister, to serve the world around us. That's what sets us apart, folks. We live in a selfish, greedy world. And when we're serving serving the Lord, when we're coming out of ourselves, when we are giving of ourselves selflessly and putting ourselves in that low place, guess what? Christ is glorified. The kingdom is enlarged. People notice. They're watching your life, whether you want them to or not. Let's pray. Father, so much to say in so little time. And yet it's enough. And, And so I pray, Father, for each of us, Lord, whether it's here in this room or online, that you would speak to us. Lord, take that word, drive it into our hearts, bring to our remembrance the things that you have for us individually. Lord, we commit this to you. We pray, Lord, that you would use it in our lives. Cause us to see ourselves as useful. And Lord, inspire us to acts of service, to, to, to step into ministry, serving in some way. Lord, knowing that you want to bless us, you don't need us. You want to bless us through it. So, Lord, also, if there's anyone watching online or here this morning that doesn't know you, I I pray, Lord, that they would understand that it's simple prayer away, saying, Jesus, I, I have not been walking with you. I've not known you. I've not come to the cross. But I turn from my old life. I ask you to forgive me for my sins, and I embrace you. If that's what you're doing, tell somebody about it. God, or Jesus called people publicly. And so, Father, if that's the case, or if someone's just simply rededicating their life to you, we pray, Lord, that you would hear their prayer and that you would act. We thank you so much this morning, Lord, for all that you're doing in our lives. We commit ourselves afresh to you. In Jesus' name, amen.